I'm Jenny Jones and this is Jen's Green Jam. I'm the Green Party peer in the House of Lords where I do my best to hold the government to account on a whole range of issues. And the aim of my podcast is to encourage debate based on the green perspective on various topics in British politics. So each month I bring a guest to look at an issue which is important to me or to the Green Party and at the end of the podcast we do some myth busting by discussing how to counter some of the nonsensical arguments you may hear in the media or the street. And today, I'm really honoured to welcome John Bird, founder and editor-in-chief of The Big Issue. You can say hello now. <laughs> hello, good morning, now or, or evening. Yeah. No, yeah, actually it's afternoon. But um, uh, you were born in a London slum, where exactly? Notting Hill. Notting Hill. It's still a slum, but it's a very expensive a slum. slum. Yes, Absolutely. Just after the war to an Irish family, and then through various travels and meanderings you got nominated for a life period in October 2015 so he's a non-party political people's peer and when asked how did you get into the House of Lords you said by lying cheating and stealing is that right that's exactly right Um, and that is one of the great shames of the British education and social system which is that if you behave yourself and you go through what was called the secondary modern school system, uh, the chances were you got out the other end with not an awful lot of skills or abilities because they didn't put the kind of effort. There are people who have gone through the secondary modern system uh, who've done very well and got brilliant education, but it all depends on the social catchment, it depends on all that other stuff. But I went through and came out unable to read and write. Um, and it was only by doing wrong and getting into the prison system and the custodial system, the youth system, that I learned extra things. Because every time they, they banged me up, I learned something new. Now, my family was poor, um, you know, working class poor, but we always had a house and we had food on the table. Do you think there's parts of your character, your makeup, that are a direct result of having experienced such extreme poverty? Yes. I, I think poverty is the maker of crime. It's the maker of racism, a lot of it. A lot of uh, the social problems pass through the prism of, of, of poverty. Um, I unfortunately came from a part of the working class which Marxists call the lumpen proletariat, which means we didn't pay the rent. We fought and got drunk and didn't pay the pay, didn't pay the shops that we got credit from. So we were a, a rather disgruntled uh, subclass of people. They call them the underclass, and people get cheesed off with that. And and you were homeless for some time in your childhood. Well, we were, yeah, because my mum and dad did other things with the very small amount of money they got, Uh, go to the pub and do other things like that, and buy cigarettes, uh, not pay the rent. We were home, I was homeless at five, six and seven, and then put into a Catholic orphanage uh, for a number of years, uh, and came out at the age of 10, and at last we got social housing, um, which was uh, wonderful, because we had our own toilet, and we had a bath. Inside? An inside toilet in a block of council flats uh, where Fulham meets Chelsea near the world's end. And it was it was brilliant to have... All, I mean, we're all crammed in about two rooms, but it was brilliant, yeah. Do you think that the underlying causes of poverty are the same now as when you were a child? 
No, I think what has happened since then is that uh, largely through the enormous efforts of uh, of us uh, losing the war or winning the war, I don't quite know which we did, and the Marshall Plan, uh, which enabled us to spend an enormous amount of money on creating the welfare state, which was paid for by the American taxpayer, not by anybody else. Um, we created this enormous welfare state, and I think what you've got now, which I think is one of the worst things, is that you have state-sponsored poverty, which is where you give people a very, very small amount of money, you expect them to live on it, uh, where you don't, you haven't given them, you haven't used the social security or social opportunity or moving people on. You have a weird situation that you only have about a 1% chance of getting to the university if you're the children of people who come from social housing. So you've actually got a very, very peculiar form of poverty, state-sponsored poverty, and that is what I came into the House of Lords to change. Um, I want to come on to homelessness in, in a minute, because it's something I've worked on in the past. We used out on... Mm tea and sandwich runs with the Simon community. And, and um, I've, I'm so a great supporter of theirs. I used to be their printer, because I was a printer, and I did loads of stuff for them for free. Uh, and it was a great privilege to work with people who work directly with homeless people. And, and yes, dedicated and principled. Um, but I wanted to ask you first, um, because you are the epitome of a self-made man, and I sort of see myself as a self-made woman as well, coming from a very poor background. How much do you think it's luck and how much do you think it's hard work? Well, it's certainly not hard work on my part because uh, I, I, I always reject that when people said, oh, you, you must have really worked hard. I didn't. I did every fiddle I could. I fiddled a social security. I robbed and cheated, as I said. But I was very blessed with my mother's uh, mouth. My mother was an Irish woman who could talk the hind legs off a donkey. And what I've had was loquacity and always be able to talk myself into somebody to help me. So I was a, I was a kind of glorified social beggar. So but you I, paid for all those crimes. Let's get that straight. You've been to prison. Yeah, but you see, where, where people get cheesed off about me is because I will never, ever except the mantle of self-made. I'm not self-made. I kept meeting people who were brilliant to me, absolutely. My probation officer, when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, running away from home, stealing, getting into trouble with school, beating up teachers, he was always there for me. So you're saying a lot of it is luck. It's just who uh, you meet and when well, you if meet. Well, you, if you meet the leadership in society, if you meet a good... And I was brought up as a very devout Catholic, which was... I'm, I'm also a devout shoplifter and housebreaker and all that. But the point... Not anymore, then. Not anymore. No, no, no. But, but the point was, I always met... Uh, I had people when I was inside who... who could lean on me and uh, to, to improve myself and learn to read and write and do also. But it is, it's, there is a system out there of people, a lot of it is voluntarism, a lot of it is, is to do with the education and the state system, and a lot of it used to be around the prison and custodial system, which meant that they weren't doing their job unless they rehabilitated you. So if you wanted to climb Mount Everest, they would do their best to give you the chance to climb Mount Everest on the basis you wouldn't then go stealing old ladies' bags or 
breaking into shops and stealing from off licenses when i have guests um for my podcast i usually have about two pages of notes so that i don't dry up on questions or whatever for you i've got four pages of notes so perhaps i can start on homelessness yes um now um what do you think um are the main solutions to homelessness and and do you think that not having enough affordable housing is the lack of a solution there well, this is where I feel a fallout with virtually everybody in homelessness, um, and and I cheese off the left, right, and the centre. I think one of the major problems is the way that we socially prepare people for failure, and I think that's a lot to do with the British class system, which has become quite nice and soft and cuddly and all that. And almost invisible. Yeah, almost invisible. They they love nothing better than a, a cheeky chappy. Uh, and I've used that uh, to, to climb uh, up, the, up the edifice of society. But the point is, whether we like it or not, we have an educational system which fails 37% of our children. And if you go into the prison system, I was in prison last week, um, and I go as often as I can, not as often as I used to. And I, I always ask a leading question, how did you do at school? And nine times out of the ten said, crap, bad. And then when you go, I've, I've been, I did some work at the hospital across the road from Parliament. A friend of mine used to run the, uh, the, the surgical part. He was an ex-Marxist like me, and he made his way up. And, and I would go and I'd talk to people. And if you talk to people, the people who are there, in, they are people who have not done well at education. They're clogging up our... Um, up, they use the, 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 the health service as a kind of drop in for the fact that they are really, really outside of society. If you look at the all the, the people who have the five, six, seven, eight pound an hour jobs or no job at all, they come from that sector where they never got the skills, they never got the... So as far as I'm concerned, if you really wanted to get rid of homelessness, instead of going on and banging on about we need more social housing, we do. But I can tell you I have helped hundreds of people into homes who have not been able to stay there because they took the demons, the social failure, the rejection, the racism, the, 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 the prejudices against people, and their own lack of skills around education and, and all that. And what happens is it's the revolving door. It happens in the prison system and it happens in social housing. I am also a great believer in if we really wanted to break the, the mould and do this, you would have to reinvent government because government spends 70% of its time, both houses, all local authorities, in and around the implications around poverty. What, you know, the ramifications, the echo, the collateral damage of poverty. So when you've got, uh, and this is why I find the world so mad, I'm, you know, I'm 73. It took me a long time to get into the British middle classes. When I got them in, I got in. I thought, well, at least they've got an education, but they don't, they don't understand the depth of the problems. And I'm, I'm blessed by meeting people in the House of Lords and in the Commons, people who want to do something about it. And I think now we need to move on, and radicalise those people who say. Let's not do more of the same. Let's look at. Let's do a 
social audit of what's working in society and what is not. So we need a bit of we need a bit of space. Well, I'm really sure. happy to help you overthrow the government and set up some law, some unusual form of government that mm. obviously that includes Greens. Overthrow? Um, I wouldn't. You see, I wouldn't use the term overthrow because as a Marxist, Engels, Leninist, Trotskyist, they say, "Oh, you're only showing what you were all along. You're just one of those, you know, uh, you know, Trojan horses." Un <laughs> unseat the government. It's my language. Yeah. It's yes. my language. I like. Yeah. I prefer unseat. Yes. Yeah. All right. We'll do it democratically. Um, now, uh, pe people do say to me, um, what can they do? Individuals, we're talking, you've mentioned a bit about what the government can do, but individuals do say to me, well, what can I do? I mean, walking in and out of Parliament, we see people sleeping rough, don't we, in, in, the, mm. in the tube and, and on the streets. Um, and uh, I've got a figure here that rough sleeping has risen 165% since 2010. Um, so what is your advice to the ordinary passerby um, who wants to relieve suffering and who wants to help the homeless? Well, one of the interesting things when we started the big issue, when, when it first started uh, in September 9-11-1991, the first thing, the first problem we encountered was that the homeless themselves were unprepared to be polite and kind and nice. And they were incredibly rude and they didn't like this because it was... It wasn't as good as begging. You know, they had to work. They had to husband their money. They had to do all sorts of things. And they were very, very aggressive to the public. And then the public kind of warmed to them. And then they realized, hang on, I'm in the marketplace. I'm just like selling sandwiches. If I want people to come in my sandwich bar, they've got to be welcome. You can't throw it at them. So there was a real change. What happened with the public was that the public fell in love with big issue vendors because they could talk to them and they could reason them with the problem when you're begging and you're on the streets you are it, there is no there there is no repertoire there's no uh, um, communality of language you've got somebody who's incredibly desperate and you've got somebody who is not as desperate who, but who is making their way through life and what you've got to do is you have to say I have to engage with this person I talk to beggars but I'm always saying, go along and work with the big issue. Some of them said, I just tried it, it was too hard. I tried it, it didn't work for me. I tried it, but there were you know, too many other problems. But we have to engage with these human beings. I believe, and I'm probably um, considered right of Attila the Hun, I do not accept the right of people to sleep on the streets because I think it's a democratic I think it's a, a it's a, a boulderization or whatever you like to call it of, of democracy. A person who's on the street is going to die before you and I. A person on the street is having to to in a sense cheat they're going to, they're having to limit their lives and in my opinion it's a human rights abuse that I would not and I would remove people from the streets whether they wanted to go or not, and I would put them in places of safety, I would put them through therapeutic communities, and I would make an investment in getting the demons out of them. If you go to Finland, you're not allowed to sit down on the streets. And the reason for that is because they know darn well that somebody who sits down on the streets is already compacting any problems that they have. So I'm, I'm for treating people on the streets as people who have mental health issues.
No, uh, well, sure. I mean, that, that, no, that's fair enough. Um, and I, I probably would agree with almost everything you said, but for the average person, they don't have that sort of background of knowledge to engage. No, no. And so what about giving money or giving Give, give money. I, I, what I do is I, if I can engage and talk with somebody and feel I can help them, I will do it. I mean, obviously, we, you can't do it all the time, and there are many, many people who, who you can't help. But the point is, what we have to do, we have to do two things. We have to support the organisations who get people off the streets. There is an enormous... I mean, people don't realise that 87% of people who fall homeless are processed by all of the organisations. It's the 13% that we don't see. Or sometimes it's the 13% who are out on the streets who actually are housed, but they're still living a dishevelled and a broken life, and they're out there. Uh, almost as an extension of, of, of the of the A&E department. So what we have to do is we have to really, really support those organisations who get people off the streets. And there are n numerous ones, and we know them all. And the get support those people. But the other thing is you have to get involved in your community because there are churches, there are social groups that help these people and make and relieve them and help them to move from the invalidity of the streets into some form of life. You mentioned Finland just now. Now, Finland has just done a trial of something. There's a Green Party policy here in Britain, um, which is called the Basic Income Scheme. Mm. And that's where uh, every citizen or, or person receives a regular no-strings payment from the government that allows them to sustain themselves. And it, it appears to have been quite successful in lots of ways. Is that something you support or promote? Or well, I, I'm, I, I've said good things about that, and I've said bad things, because it depends on who you talk to. And I've met people who think it's a brilliant idea, and I take their ideas. Sometimes you're only as good as the last person you spoke to. Uh, and I'm just like everybody else, you know. I'm no, I don't have an enormous brain. What I don't like the idea, I don't want the idea of not of not helping people make their way in the world. If you can help somebody make their way in the world, whoever they are, whatever class, whatever race, whatever religion, whatever gender preference, if you can do that, then you are, you're doing the work of why you're here anyway, because in my opinion, we're only here to help those people who need help. If we're not doing that, then we're not fulfilling, we're not having a full life. And I think if you can do that, and if it means giving certain people or everybody 500 quid a month so that they could breathe, I think it would produce a lot of poets, it would produce a lot of artists, it would produce a lot of, a lot of rock stars and all that. And that might be a brilliant way of doing it, but I would hate it to be an impediment. The way they have used impediments where they give you a little social security but they don't give you social security, they give you social insecurity and no social opportunity. And no respect as well. No respect, yeah. I, I, that that so is actually changing. I've spent quite a bit of time going around the DWP uh, offices and I am meeting people who, I'm, I'm not joking, they're from the 22nd century. They're meeting and talking to people in need to get them out in a positive sort of way. It's not happening all over the place, and I would love to see it uh, taken uh, in every way, but I'm, 
I'm always encouraged because I always meet people who are carrying solutions. So that's why even in the middle of the Brexit, I'm not depressed by it all. I'm oh, saying, well, well, we're going through this anyway. So I'm very glad there's <laughs> somebody not depressed about it. I'm going to ask you now some questions that have come from Twitter. Yes. And um, these are people who, um, you know, think you're amazing, um, as, as I do, obviously. Not all of them. Well, all the, yeah. all the people who sent me questions oh, do. Um, now, um, uh, this is from Netpol. Um, now that you're a member of the Lords, does John think repealing the Vagrancy Act that criminalises homeless people is long overdue? Uh, well, the Vagrancy Act is used on occasions, but not very often. Uh, I would rather change the Vagrancy Act to something else. I would rather change the Vagrancy Act. I would rather get rid of that and bring in a law which is the safety of the individual law. And that is, it's unsafe to stay on our streets. And I am, I, it, the next bill I want to do after we've done the bill that we've got going through is probably around the, in, the safety of the individual. I do not know. I know many, many young women over the last, I mean, I've been involved in homeless well before the big issue. And I have seen very, very wonderful young people come to London and make themselves very vulnerable get involved with people who uh, with, who give them drugs and then they move into the sex trade and then before you know it, they're dead. Uh, I am very, very concerned about the safety of the individual. So I would replace it with a law where there is a, a, the safety of the individual is paramount. This also means that it, it raises the issue of why are we not having our children, because they're somebody's children, safe in our prisons? Why is there rape? Why is there murder? Why is there all these things? Um, I'm going to explain to you um, outside this podcast, you don't have to wait for your bill to go through before you put another one down. Oh, so, lovely. Yeah, no, you can have several down at the same time. Okay. Um, now, um, th there's been a programme, um, it, 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 I think he's an ex-soldier or something, I haven't seen the programme, uh, he's called Ed Stafford, and Paddy Sturdy, off Twitter, says... Be interested to hear your thoughts on Ed Stafford's 60 Days on the Streets. Quite surprised by the second episode, implying a lot of people making money and not necessarily homeless. That seems like bad press. Yeah, I mean, what somebody said to me, uh, they said, you know, you're working with people who often steal off each other, the people who often lie and they cheat. And I, and I say, well... The first thing that goes out the window when poverty comes through the door is the truth. And I can honestly tell you, when I was a rough sleeper and a beggar, my mum died every day and my dad was in a wheelchair and it was all this sort of stuff. So let's not, rather than, you know, uh, value judge people who, uh, if, if you're on the streets and you're conning people on the streets, then what it means is that you probably don't have a regular means of income. You probably haven't got an MBA. You probably wouldn't get a job at, at uh, Deloitte's. You probably wouldn't become an eye surgeon at St Thomas's Hospital. So let's just accept the fact that there are scallywags and all that. But behind it all is the fact that there are resources which are unavailable to you on the streets, and you might have to duck and die, bob and weave. I am not interested in people who want to slag off the poorest among us or who, who are some of them masquerading. What I would love to do is I would love to be able to say that there is a dignity amongst these people that I've seen. And when I was down, 
I was looked after by people who had been through the war. Some of them had been through two wars because I was a boy who'd been through a two and they were looking out for those people. And organizations like the Simon community pick those people up and they help transform them. We need more of that kind of support. Now, Helen Penders also asked a question. She says, workhouses supplied beds and basic food. I, I, I wasn't around when there were workhouses, but I remember my grandmother being very frightened of ending up in a workhouse. And Helen Penders says, there are now reports of homeless children living with parents on the streets or in cars. Is current policy towards the homeless less humane than Victorian workhouses? Well, th those are rather... You, that's rather difficult. If you were actually to compare the amount of money that was given by the public to people begging in the Victorian period, and you were to make a comparison now, there are millions and millions and millions of pounds given by the public. If you look at the fact that if you were a police officer and walked around and saw somebody sleeping rough at the end of the 19th century, you might give them a whack over the head and arrest them and put them in Pentonville for three months. You don't do that. So there is much more, there's actually there's much, much more uh, laissez-faire about the streets. But the real problem is there isn't a system, however painful that system, is to guarantee of getting you off the streets. There are no, you know, when Margaret Thatcher closed down the mental institutions in 85, I was one of the many people, and not I wasn't the only one, and the Green Party were very involved in this. We, we, we all said, if you've closed the mental institutions down, the streets will fill up and the prisons will fill up. And lo and behold, 40 years later, what have we got? We've got the streets filled up and we've got the hospitals filled up and we've got our prisons filled up. I'm really sorry we're running out of time because you're such a busy man. So I'm just going to give you um, a few myths that people um, say sometimes. And if you could just give a really quick answer. I mean, so, some on. of these I think... What's a quick answer? Yes <laughs> or no. Um, but I think some of these you can say yes yeah. or no. Right. Um, homelessness is a choice. Um, I, don't, I don't believe it. No, I don't. Um, there are sufficient social services to help people experiencing homelessness. There are not sufficient social services, I assure you. One, another one is, um, there's nothing we can do to completely eliminate homelessness. It, true, because there are people always through mental health problems falling down and through reversals. Uh, uh, my own mother being one of the persons who tried to embrace homelessness because she was being beaten at home, but they all they always brought her back. So there were lots of people out there through domestic violence and, and unless you get rid of domestic violence you couldn't get rid of homelessness. Homeless shelters make neighbourhoods dangerous or reduce property value? Uh, I'm, I've heard that from all, all sorts of things but I can take you to places where the neighbours love them. Uh, it, it's all a question of leadership. Who is running the system? Who is actually making sure that there is some social discipline amongst people who are all in need. That's the one big... If you put a lot of people with need together, then disorder and, and becomes an order of the day, and you have to do something. But it's all about leadership, social leadership. And the other thing is you have to try and make sure that people see the, the, the homeless place as a part of the community, not apart from it. It's not a ghetto. If it is a ghetto, then you have all sorts of problems. Um 
people who experience homelessness are suffering from mental health issues or abusing drugs and alcohol? Most of the people I have met over the years have been people who either have mental health problems or will get them down there, will get the uh, self-abuse because it's self-medication. But there are quite a number of people who have been what you might call internal um, uh, um, economic migrants who are moving from parts of the parts of the Europe or even parts of the UK and who are not really in a position to look after themselves and they quickly decline and decline and decline so it's and that's where the mental health often comes in I've got to let you go now but um, I will uh, certainly support your next well I've supported your current bill and I certainly support your next bill as well and we always enjoy your interventions in the House of Lords you usually get a big sympathetic laugh don't you yes yes well I'm I'm I think yeah uh, it, it is interesting because I am my problem is I don't like the system there's not much I don't like the loudest mouth being able to jump up at the oral questions. And the reason for that, because I'm the loudest mouth of all, I've never, no one has ever got me to sit down once I stood up, except when I stood up because a bishop spoke ahead of me. But the point is, I don't like that system because to me it's a kind of bullying. It's a kind of, I'm, I was sitting next to want to a, 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 a peer, a, a Muslim peer from Northern Ireland who appears every now and then. And he said, I want to talk. And I, and I said, well, with that soft voice, no one's going to listen to you. So I stood up and said, I said, crossbench, crossbench. And I shouted and shouted and I got him up. I, I, I hate, I hate the idea that the strongest is the one that wins all the prizes and all the Lord. And there is a particular Labour peer who, when he stands up and talks like that, man, you never get a word in. Even I would have to shout him down. Uh, and I'm not being regionalist either, but the, the, the ex-government ministers, they really know how to work the system. We should be finding a better system. Well, and I tell you what, I will always call out for um, for somebody you indicate, and you, you must shout for me as well. Yeah, I will. <laughs> John, it's lovely having you. Thank you so much for coming.